Welcome to New Jersey Tech Meetup, the podcast. Each episode, we bring you a huge amount of value from past keynotes at our events, fireside chats, and much, much more. Tune in to hear from entrepreneurs such as Gary Vaynerchuk, James Altucher, and your host, Aaron Price. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and we can't wait to share more episodes with you in the future. So I want to talk about, the concept is to talk about gamification. And we're going to put this gamification talk into the, through the prism of startups. Because I think many of you work for startups, maybe you don't all do it. But um, a more specific way of thinking about it is about the question of engagement, right? And many people have opinions or feelings about the term gamification or what it means, or what it means for you. And I, I just want to talk about it through the prism of engagement and also understand why that subject is actually important for all of us. So just to put this into context, what you are up against or potentially working with, in the last 30 days in the US, four-fifths of the population has used a second or third screen while watching a television program. Okay? If you do this in a movie theater in the South, you will be shot. But people are doing it, doing it a lot. In fact, I didn't realize in movie theaters how prevalent it was because I don't go to the movies that much. But in addition to television, a quarter of the population admits to checking their cell phone in the movies. But we're dealing with uh, real changes in behavior, right? Or this device. This device now takes up, on average, 75 minutes of your day in the United States. That's 75 minutes, by the way, of you being face down in this thing. Not 75 minutes total of it influencing your life and thought process. That's 75 active minutes of your nose in the phone. You're only awake for 16 hours a day. And already, 8% of the day is taken up with looking at this device. And that's only happened in the last eight years, right? But many people ask, like, what, like, who cares about this? Why do we care about this subject? Like, that's cute, right? Like, everyone takes pictures of their dinner before they eat it, before, you know? Everyone, like, is constantly on their phone while they're hanging out with other people. What's the real impact of that? Why does any of that matter? And one of my favorite stories about this was working with one of the world's largest automakers on a problem that came to me about, where they said that you know for the first time in history, American teenagers are driving less, want to drive less than their parents. And since the introduction of the automobile, that line has never looked like that, okay? That line has always looked like this since the dawn of the automobile. And suddenly, the line looks like this. And I said, okay, well, what's the reason for that? And they were like, uh, well, you know, there's all the things you hear about the millennials, which is that they uh, don't want to drive because it's bad for the environment, and they don't want to drive because they don't have money, and they don't want to spend it, and sharing the economy, and blah, blah, blah. But the number one reason is they have heard the invective against texting and driving, and so they are choosing not to drive. True story. In fact, it's true. In fact, the number one reason is not texting, it's Instagram was the number one app implicated in this discussion. So let me ask you a question. Since you're all thinking about the future and the products that you're making and so on. If, you had, if I had told you five years ago that Instagram would kill the car, what would you have said to me? Right? You'd be like, that's crazy. No fucking way. That would never happen. Never, never, never. So let me put this into context for you. Uh, 
every single user behavior, anything that you think people do because they have always done it or because they are, it is part of their culture, a deep-seated part of their DNA is on the table. Nothing is a given. You can't count on anything anymore. In the space of 10 years, a device has taken up 8% of the day. Where did that time come from? Are we sleeping less? We're not actually, by the way. I'll answer that for you. That time has come from other stuff, like taking care of your kids, or going to the gym, or learning, or doing important stuff for yourself. Right? Everything is on the table. People will fundamentally follow their bliss wherever it goes. Whatever app or experience or idea gives people the most positive reinforcement, gives them the most energy, gives them the best experience is the place that they will go. And it doesn't matter what the other collateral damage and shit is, that's what they're gonna do. Now, from a startup standpoint, most of you probably see that as an opportunity, right? That means you can come in and upend the table and throw the apple cart over and take time away from other applications and other experiences, and that's mostly true. But the same thing that happened to those people happens to you. Your app or idea or service or experience is only as good as the amount of engagement that it can create. To wit, the more engagement your app, software, product, service, whatever can create, the larger the multiple the market will pay for your company. You know, uh, I'm sure you've talked about it multiple times already today. Sorry, I haven't been here all day. But the WhatsApp sale is on everybody's mind. In the sale, the 450 million users, the adding 1 million users a week, a day, right? Or a year, a day. It was a lot. Lost in all of that stuff was the actual stat that really mattered, which was pointed out by some analysts which is that nearly three quarters of all WhatsApp users use the app every day. That was the actual stat that Facebook bought the company for. There are almost no experiences with that level of stickiness or engagement that are not mega platforms like the smartphone. There are very, very few companies that have that level of engagement. Facebook doesn't have that level of engagement with its users, right? So at the core, engagement is the new power metric for startups. Engagement is the thing that will decide what the multiple is that uh, an acquirer will pay for your company. Because as you know, it's all voodoo math anyway. What's the value of a user when 10% of them pay $1 per year? Should you pay $450 for a user? That makes absolutely no sense unless that user comes back every single day to the app without fail. And is always present and you can do stuff with them. At the core of all this stuff, both on the engagement side, on the positive and on the negative, I assert, I posit, is games. Even if you don't play them, they're influencing you. They're all around you. They've influenced the way we design all kinds of stuff. And they've changed the way that your brain works. So for example, just taking a couple of things, apps that you know. Instagram, right? Okay, Gabe, Instagram's not a game. All uh, right, okay. But there's so many game-like elements in Instagram not the least of which is the leaderboard and scoreboard that's constantly being thrown in your face. Or Mint.com, which had a great effect by using ideas from games like points and challenges. Foursquare, which as many of you know, got millions of people to do something that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever for a protracted period of time. And 
the cautionary tale about Foursquare for all of you, which is what happens when you design something and then don't update it for 18 months? What happens to a game-like experience that isn't updated for 18 months? Oh, yeah, it goes from being the most important technology innovation in history to being who gives a fuck. <laughs> That's actually exactly what happened, you guys, for Foursquare. They didn't update the game for a year and a half. No game is fun forever, remember. Or, probably the most enduring example from large corporate America, Nike Plus. Today in the US, today, 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 60 million fat people will run, because everyone in the US is fat, 16 million fat people will run using Nike Plus today in the US, one sixth million. Do you know what percentage that is of all people who run in the United States? Anyone? It's a third of the whole running population in the United States will run with a little piece of hardware with Nike on it attached to their body and a piece of software that connects and reports back to them how they did. You know that five years ago, Nike wasn't even the top brand for runners anymore. Nike wasn't a serious brand for running five years ago. Any of you run? Did you run in Nikes five years ago? Right, you ran in New Balance, you ran in Asics. The company got the message and was like, we're not gonna be able to compete as the hardcore running shoe of choice. But perhaps we can be the company that delivers your personal goals. Perhaps we can help you get to where you want to go and the person you want to be and achieve the things that matter to you. And so in the process, they've transformed what it means to be Nike to people who run. Because it's not an apparel company anymore. It's a goal achievement and wish fulfillment company that sells some apparel, by the way, in case you're interested. We've got some apparel over here. What we really have is a web service that's highly gamified that tells you how you're doing and helps you achieve your personal best. And this transformation is not insignificant. So the concept there is called gamification, and I'm going to move quickly through some of this stuff. The idea of gamification is to use the best ideas from loyalty programs, games, and behavioral economics to change people's behavior. And we change people's behavior by engaging them in the problem. We do not change people's behavior by educating them about stuff. Now, you will see me show you a number of examples today of startups and big companies that have used education, gamification, to be successful. And I'm going to give you a bunch of examples and a couple of design concepts that you can use in whatever it is that you're doing. But I want to reiterate this. The challenge to getting somebody to adopt your idea or to change their behavior to be better in the world, to be a better version of themselves, it is typically not an education gap that people have. It is an action gap. The world sucks because people don't do the right things, not because they don't know the right things to do. But we spend a lot of time fixated on knowing the right things to do. Oh, if only people knew smoking was bad for them, they wouldn't smoke, right? If only people knew that eating fatty, sugary, shitty food was bad for them, they wouldn't do that, right? Or that unsafe sex was dangerous. I'll keep going down this list until you, until you agree with me. <laughs> the problem that people have is not a knowledge problem. Yes, some people don't know those things. But 16% of the population still smokes. You can't argue that it's 1954 anymore. They all fucking know. What's the problem? Why don't they do that? Why don't they quit? The number of different reasons. But I just want you to internalize and really get the difference between knowledge and action 
They're like not even in the same plane of existence. And you, as a startup founder, or you as a person with a great vision for changing the world, must principally be focused on action, not education. And it's very controversial. But believe me, the best way to learn is by doing. And if you start with action, you'll get education. If you start with education, you have no guarantee of outcome or action. None whatsoever. Like a whole different way for you to think about this going forward. Critically for all of you, we talked about this with Foursquare, gamification is a process, not a product. We don't just go, oh, it's gamified. Yeah, drop the mic, all right? We continuously improve it, because if we do it and we stop, you'll hate it. Live Cube is cool, right? But if you come back next year and it's the exact same thing, exactly the same way it is now, you're like, yeah, I did that. We have to keep going. We gotta keep doing stuff, and so you gotta do it constantly. It's also not just about putting some badges on your website. Gamification, there's so much more going on. Badges are important, okay? Anybody been in the military or the Boy Scouts? Or owned a fancy car, okay? Badges, by the way, what the car industry calls that thing on the back of the car that tells you how expensive it is, that's called a badge. Not incidentally, I didn't make that up. Okay, so if you are in one of those groups, the military, the Boy Scouts, the auto industry, badges are meaningful and important. But how do they derive their meaning? They derive their meaning by being meaningful. Okay, so what that means is, we, in order for a badge to have meaning, the system the badge represents must be meaningful. It in and of itself does not have meaning just by existing. Do you know when you get on your planes, when you fly around, you know three stripes and four stripes? Do you know what those mean? What's the person with four stripes on a plane? He's the captain, right? Okay, the vast majority of you are like, stripes? What? I know Harold Ramis just died, weird. Um, no, those things mean a lot to the people in the, in the system because they've bought into the system. But if you don't buy into the system, the badges, right, don't mean anything. So your job, the way you use badging in gamification, is as a representation of a system of meaning. And until you create that meaning, until you have that meaning, it doesn't matter. And the last thing, conceptually, about gamification that's important is to understand that it's not about making everything into a game. And this is literally the number one piece of bullshit in my life, is this idea. You're like, yeah, I know what, I've got it. I hate sexual harassment training in my 15,000 person corporations. I'll tell you what we're gonna do. We're gonna make it into a game. That will make it awesome. That will solve our problem. Shitty curriculum plus game equals yeah. No, never worked, never worked. And for those of you on the marketing side, any of you who work in marketing, at some point in the last 10 years, undoubtedly you have touched some craptastic marketing game project where you've taken something like Angry Birds because it's really cool and put your corporate logo on it and been like, people are gonna love it because everyone loves Angry Birds. And let me tell you, nobody cares about that. Nobody cares about it for a few reasons. Number one, Angry Birds is 99 cents, okay? No one is gonna play your free shit for brains version of Angry Games, of Angry Birds, to save 99 cents, number one. Number two, the companies that make games have literally, like Rovio that makes Angry Birds, has 1,200 game developers who do nothing every day but think about great game ideas. 
and execute them. And their livelihood depends on the ability to make a great game idea. So, unless your vision is to launch a games company, please do not begin your process of gamifying stuff with the idea of you're going to make a game out of it. Don't do it. You're going to take the best ideas from games and apply them to your unique situation. You're going to create meaning, you're going to engage people, you're going to change their behavior by taking the best ideas from games. Not the bullshit from games, the concepts from games. I'm totally swearing in a New Jersey appropriate way. I want you all to know. This is my strictly in Jersey version of swearing. Okay, so I'm Gabe, some of you know, I've written these three books. My last one's called The Gamification Revolution. Uh, Co-founded a company with Justin called Dopamine. We help all kinds of companies, big and small, engage people with gamification. Uh, we built the first version of LiveCube. We run this conference called G Summit. The next one's coming up in June. It's really cool. Um, there you can get certified in gamification. All right. Um, why does it work? Some quick examples, and then we'll let you go. So the main reason why games and gamification are so compelling is a concept called intrinsic reinforcement. And here's how it works. Anytime you challenge yourself to something, anything at all, doesn't matter how big or how small, and you achieve that thing, your brain secretes a little bit of a magical neurotransmitter called dopamine, yeah? And dopamine, as many of you know, is a motivation and pleasure chemical, which means that challenge plus achievement equals pleasure in the human brain. Awesome. This is why people are so motivated, and koala bears have never won a Nobel Prize. Is this intrinsic reinforcement? Actually, there's other reasons. Uh, eucalyptus is a very poor uh, nutrition source. So there's another layer on this, which uh, uh, well-known neuropsychologist uh, called Ian Robertson coined, which is called the winner effect, okay? So, challenge achievement dope. Challenge achievement dope. The more times you do this, your body starts secreting testosterone along with the dopamine release, okay? So now it's challenge achievement, dopamine, testosterone. And the more, the one thing that's very true about testosterone is testosterone rewires your body and brain very quickly. The more of it that comes into contact with your body, the faster your systems are rewired. So what happens over time, the winner effect, the more you win, the more you want to win. The more you win, the more you need to win to feel okay. okay? Now this starts explaining a lot of political politician behavior. But also, in a game context, in a game-like context, we are doing this hundreds of times per hour. If you break a game down to its core elements, it's nothing but a series of challenges. It's constantly telling you what it wants you to do, more or less, and giving you a short cycle in which to accomplish that thing, and telling you, yay, you did it. Okay, or you died, press the button, start again, yay. Okay, da 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 da. Okay, so you're constantly in this loop of challenging yourself to stuff, and you know, dying, and then achieving it, and moving forward. It's really rewarding, you guys. It's really rewarding, even if you're not especially good at it. That's really rewarding. So one thing I want you to think about is how you take your user experience from today's, like, you figure out what you do, everything will work out, just like click one of these 37 buttons on our UX and you'll figure it out, to a highly structured, highly positive dopaminergic loop with users that immediately rewards them and gets them moving forward and gets them where you need them. That's piece of advice number whatever, let's call that three for the presentation so far, yeah? Challenge achievement loops tight, tight, tight in whatever it is that you're building. 
Um, I want to share with you a couple of examples briefly in the time that we have. This is uh, this model is called the three F's: feedback, friends, and fun. The more of this your system has, the more people will like it. This is really obvious, but feedback, friends, and fun are the three things. And you start unpacking uh, apps or experiences that are really successful, and you'll find that they all have these three F's at very high frequency, very high amounts, right? Lots of feedback, friends, and fun. Um, so this is one of my favorite, one of my favorite case studies made by a big company, but nonetheless, it's a good lesson. And it's called Domino's Pizza Hero. Okay, so uh, Domino's, you know, shitty pizza. All right. So Domino's, no love lost. I haven't fucking eaten there in years. So, so Domino's made this thing called Domino's Pizza Hero, and here's how it works. In Domino's Pizza Hero, you play a pizzaiolo or a pizzaiola. Someone makes pizzas. They show you how to knead, how to make a dough, how to knead it, how to throw it up. Ba -ba, right? Put sauce on it. Put vegetables on it. Put cheese on it how to bake it, and if you're good, you flick your finger and it's instantly baked at your local Domino's and delivered right to your door. A million dollars in incremental revenue per week from this game, right? If you're especially good at making pizzas, they'll invite you to apply for a job from inside the app. Yes. They have, I know, right? Let's all, let's all do it. Um, and it's really funny, they need to, they need to hire 25 to 30,000 people a year. So this for them is a really big business goal, okay? Incremental revenue, hiring people. Oh, it's the like, perfect circle trifecta of gamification. Yes, if only it was done for like pizza I'd actually want to eat. Um, but look, here's the other interesting thing about this. What product, what does this replace at Domino's Corporate? What does Domino's Pizza here replace? Here's what it replaces. It replaces the soaring instrumental music video behind the scenes, how Domino's makes your pizza featuring many attractive white people in uniforms. We use only the finest ingredients at Domino's. We were started in 1922 by Bill Domino. You know, like this whole, you know that inspirational video? The one that explains your mission and your vision? Instead, you give your future audience, especially the millennials, what they really want, which is a view behind the curtain that's kinesthetic that they can play with with their hands. That's more than just a one-dimensional interaction, but something they can actually manipulate and understand how the levers work and get inside the system and process. They want to know how the sausage is made. And you can do that. Create and create incremental revenue in the process. Many of you know Duolingo. This is a great success story about gamification being used to crack a tough problem, uh, which is language learning. Started by Louis Vanon, who's a professor at Carnegie Mellon, the same guy who made the Google Image Labeler game. Those of you who've ever played that, uh, and also reCAPTCHA. But anyway, the idea is you're learning new languages and also translating the internet, right? Crowd working, the two together. I think they have like 200 million people enrolled learning languages on Duolingo. And here's the interesting part about it. Apparently, the actual language learning methodology, the curriculum, is actually not very good. So most people who teach languages look at Duolingo and go, this isn't actually, people are not really going to learn languages from Duolingo. But it's demonstrating very clearly the power of fun and friends in the equation to help people learn something that's often been considered very difficult. So if you could pair this with genuine, real, language learning, you would have something that might actually be miraculous. In the meantime, it doesn't matter. They'll exit for like $20 million. Um, Stack Overflow, 
Any of you technologists in the room? Yes? So you've been on Stack Overflow today, or you will be by tomorrow morning. For the rest of you, it's a Q&A website for hardcore technologists, software developers. It is everything that's lame about Yahoo and everything that's like so douchey about Quora, but that works in one site for people who make software. And the basic modality on Stack Exchange, or Stack Overflow, is you ask tech questions like, oh, how do I solve this tech problem? And people jump in and they solve the problem for you. Really highly qualified people do this. And there's a great talk from the guy who uh, created it, Jeff Atwood, at gsummit.com, because he spoke at the conference a couple of years ago. And one of the things that he talked a lot about is this idea that if you're building credibility, so if a system is about credibility, so if you need to build a marketplace where people are reviewed or rated, he's like, remember that only people can give each other credibility. The system can't give it, right? People have to give it to each other. So part of the gamification equation here is if you want to get people to do meaningful work with each other and you want to build trust in a system, you've got to be able to design something where people are giving each other feedback and they're getting that credibility score in order to be able to advance. Now, the other lesson for you, the other startup lesson for you out of Stack Exchange, Stack Overflow, is that this was so successful for the company, they actually pivoted to become a white label B2B version of this. So now you can license the gamified Q&A website that used to be just Stack Overflow from a company called Stack Exchange, making their market significantly larger. And the lesson is, if you hack the game really well, if you design your gamification super well, you may be able to monetize that as well in your vertical, not just the thing that you're trying to solve, or not just the problem that you're trying to solve. Uh, you know what, we're kind of out of time, so I just want to jump ahead to one quick thing for you. <coughs> so, I love this story too. So, um, I talked a, a little bit about like uh, the consumer-facing side of gamification, and we have lots of examples on gamification.co. There's a database of hundreds of examples of gamification you can check out. But one of the other big opportunities in the space is to gamify work-related stuff. Any of you thinking about doing B2B things or HR-focused things? This is a really, really big category for gamification because work sucks at most companies. So companies are increasingly aware that when their employees walk in the door, they don't dispense with the Facebook updates and the Candy Crush plays. They're still carrying all that stuff with them and they kind of hate their jobs and so they're not working very productively. So there's been a whole like movement towards gamifying work. And this is a very big market category. It accounts for half of all the like $2 billion spending on gamification goes there. Um, so one of the best success stories from a startup out of this was a company called Ripple. And the idea for Ripple was annual reviews suck. Nobody likes writing them. Nobody likes receiving them. They're kind of bullshit. you like, nothing that's said is real. Like, you only talk to your boss once a year during annual review time, so he's only, he or she's only giving you feedback on the last six weeks of the year. You don't get stuff from before. So they're like, we need to hack this and rethink it. So the way they did it was, it's a smartphone app, and basically, uh, anytime someone does something that's worthy of recognition, it doesn't matter what it is. It's big or small, it doesn't matter. And uh, you want to recognize them, you just click a button on the smartphone app, and they're instantly recognized for that. Virtual rewards, leaderboards, points, all the stuff that you expect. But the core idea is to shorten the loop of feedback for every action that's taken inside an organization in a 360 way. So supervisor, peer, and subordinate. Everyone gives each other feedback. 
Any of you have dogs or kids? You know, yes. You're like, both. Okay, so you know that you have to you have to give dogs and kids feedback in very short order after the thing occurs. You can't go to your kid, your six-year-old, and be like, last week, uh, when you didn't clean your room, I'm really upset, right, about that. You have to do it right away. You've got to respond immediately. So core value proposition of this is to shorten that cycle. It has been, it was and is so successful, so effective, shortening the cycle, making it fun, that entire companies have done away with the annual review. If they don't do them at Spotify, or Living Social, or most of Facebook, because this is so much better than that, that uh, the other idea, the annual review. And it was so effective that Ripple, the company that made this, was sold 18 months after launch for 65 million bucks to Salesforce. And it's now called work.com because it's so transformative. So here's my other lesson for you on the startup side, which is you can find, if you can see how much of life is gray and boring, how much boring, boring shit there is, and you can just make that a little bit more fun and engaging than it is in real life today, you can have a significant economic effect. That in and of itself is significant. And the opportunities to do that abound all over the place. All right, one last thing for you, which is a design concept called SAPS that I want you to know about. And this is a reward system, the hierarchy of rewards that you want to give to your users, the users of your application. Status, access, power, and stuff. In order of stickiest to least sticky. Okay? Most meaningful to least meaningful. And also, conveniently for you, startup people, cheapest to most expensive. Now, if any of you studied Site 101, you might remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs. This is a different prism of looking at the basic concept of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Status is giving people something that allows them to feel superior to other people without having to act like a dick. Access is giving people the ability to do something that other people cannot do for money, okay? like dinner with the president. Power is giving people control over other people's destiny in the world, whether it's real or virtual, like deciding who gets to take a vacation when and who's on their crew. And stuff is free things, cash, discounts, giveaways, coupons, okay? Giving things away to people. Now, it seems pretty obvious that status makes people more motivated than stuff, right? We all agree, we all saw Dan Pink's TED Talk, we all saw Drive, we know that cash is not that good of a motivator, and motivating people with cash is bad. Okay, so why does everybody fucking market with cash? Why is it when we have a new product, the first thing we do is give it away to people for free? Why do we send street teams out to give people stuff for free? Why do we immediately discount everything? Any of you on the Gap, Old Navy, Banana Republic mailing list? Yeah? Would you go into the store with the 15% off coupon? Hell no. Because you know in like three days they're going to send you a 40% off coupon in the mail. It's true if you've never been on the list. It's crazy. Or uh, Bed Bath & Beyond, would you ever go in there without your 20% coupon? Never. Right? It's ridiculous. So what have they done? They've inflated the prices by 20% so they can give you the coupon because it's an omnipresent. It's true. It's an omnipresent feature. If you don't have the coupon, Bed Bath & Beyond is expensive. And if you have the coupon, it's normally priced. Like this is the shit that happens. Okay. It's ridiculous. Don't get caught in this. And let me explain to you why this is very important. Why it's super, super important for you. 
and this is about your medium game. Okay? The concept that explain that is meaningful here is a concept called habituation. And what habituation means is that over time, all stimuli lose their effect over time. All rewards and stimuli diminish in value over time. So when you first walked into the room today, the room was cold. The light was bright. The guy talking up here was loud. The person next to you smelled. But over time, you stop noticing those things. You, do, you stop noticing the hum. There is an audible hum in this room that you can hear everywhere. You stop noticing the hum because if you didn't, you'd be going insane. So this is an evolutionary adaptation. Habituation is an evolutionary adaptation because otherwise we would go crazy. Every stimulus would be like the first time you'd ever seen it. So what happens is over time, the value of a given stimulus diminishes. I know some of you are very young, but I just want you to think about this for a second. Think back to your first paycheck, okay? Think all the way back to your first paycheck. For some of you, it was uh, yeah, direct deposit, or you got a check, or if you're working the black market, you got like a wad of cash, okay? Think back to your first paycheck. How awesome was it when you first got that money, right? Okay, it was like, yeah, I'm rich. Mm, I got like $200, the best thing that's ever happened, and you like went out and you like bought drinks for your friends, or you like took your mom out, or if you're a good person. Uh, you know, you did something nice, right? You felt so good about that first paycheck. Now, how about your last one? you respond that way? It was probably many multiples of that first one, wasn't it? How come you didn't respond 8x that first time, the last paycheck? I'll tell you what would have gotten your attention is if that last paycheck hadn't shown up. Then you would have responded, right? So here's the thing. You give people a reward at the beginning that causes them to respond out of proportion because they love that reward and so they want to keep doing it. But over time, they come to expect the reward. Very quickly, humans do that real fast. The reward stops being an unusual thing and starts being the expected thing, and then your only way is down. Meaning, if you don't deliver the reward, people stop doing stuff. But if you deliver the reward, they won't do anything exceptional. Now they just expect the reward every time. Habituation. So, what you have to do is not abandon rewards entirely, because you can't <coughs> do that. You have to give people some kind of reward, intrinsic or extrinsic, you gotta do it. So what you need to do is scale rewards up over time, which means you have to keep giving people new and interesting rewards that get bigger and more and different and unusual and meaningful over time. If you have to do that with cash, that shit is gonna bankrupt you. Even large corporations can't afford to do it with cash. Even they can't do it with cash. They can't do it for their employees with cash. You have to find ways to do it with status, access, and power. And the awesome part about this for you, especially if you're doing a startup, is it gives you an advantage. Because large company marketers, even smart technology company marketers, do not understand this very well. They don't know how to acquire customers using this way. They don't understand how to retain the engagement of people using things which are non-tangible. They only know how to hand out cash and shit and t-shirts and hats and all kinds of crap. You know better. And you know better because you're forced to know better. And also because I told you. But this is the real opportunity. And many of the things that I talked about today, um, you know, the, the dopamine loop, status access, power, and stuff, the three Fs, these are all things that when you have them in your arsenal, you can really create a transformative experience. And that's something that works both for old and for young people. 
In fact, none of the examples that I've, I've talked about today are especially for young people, and this is one of the unique things about gamification. We often think about it being for kids, because we're like, games equals kids, kids love games, therefore this is all about kids. But the truth is, everything that we feel pressured to do for a younger generation, for the millennials, is something that old people want to. Old people want recognition. Old people like friends, right? We have this idea that they don't care because they're like older, so they don't care, but this is not true. All this stuff is the same, whether you're six or you're 60. The key is to package it in a way that's meaningful, and hopefully if some of these things are, are meaningful to you, you'll be able to use them to transform you know, whatever it is that you want to do. So lastly, before I leave, this is my Twitter handle. Okay, it's up on the board. You also know it because it was in the live queue. Yeah. Um, I highly encourage all of you to be my BFFs. Right, be my BFFs. Uh, be my BFF on Twitter, be my BFF on Facebook. Fair warning, you will get pictures of everything I eat. But if, you're, if that's cool with you, let's be BFFs. If you've got crazy ideas about gamification you want to talk about, please message me, I want to hear them even if we don't get a chance to chat today. And uh, for all of you doing a startup in the room, I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the episode today. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss out on our future episodes. From the team at New Jersey Tech Meetup, we hope you're having a great day, and we look forward to spending more time with you in the future. 